Welcome to the Olive Podcast. I'm Janine, Olive's Deputy Editor and Podcast Host, and each episode I'll be catching up with chefs, cookery writers and characters from the food scene in Britain and beyond. Join us each week to expand your food knowledge as our guests share 10 things we need to know about the specialist subject. And do listen out for our effortless bonus episodes where they also reveal their top cooking cheats, hacks and shortcuts. So this week on the podcast, I'm delighted to welcome chef and author Tim Anderson to the pod. Um, Tim's written four books about Japanese food and culture, and his latest, Your Home is a Kaya, is going to be the focus of our chat today. Welcome, Tim. Hi, thanks for having me. For the uninitiated, could you explain briefly what an izakaya is? An izakaya is like a pub, basically, or you could call it like a tapas bar. It's a casual place to drink, uh, mainly, but also to eat. Uh, the word actually means place to stay and drink or shop to stay and drink. They yeah. started off as uh, off-licenses, basically, sake shops, but then began serving snacks, and then the snacks got uh, a bit more complicated, a bit more involved, and, and became like cooked dishes um, until they are what they are today, which is this very fun um, – boisterous kind of mode of Japanese dining. My favorite place uh, to eat in Japan really is the izakaya. Yeah, amazing. Um, we're, we're kind of doing this different format this season, which is going to be like 10 things you need to know about. So we're going to kind yeah. of rattle through the points that you've given me that you think really illustrate um, izakaya um, culture and cuisine. Yep. So the first one is the importance of a motanashi. Am I pronouncing yep. that correctly? Yep. Okay, Very tell good. us tell us about <laughs> <laughs> I have been to Japan briefly once for four days. <laughs> no, your um, pronunciation is very good so far. <laughs> so um, what what is a, a motenashi? A motenashi is uh, basically hospitality. Yeah. Um, but the connotations are like this sort of uber hospitality um, that you get in Japan. And I started writing about it in your home, Izakaya, because I started thinking about, okay, like what is it really – that makes Japanese food special because when people ask that question and try to answer it, they often sort of trot out these like cliches that not only I think like don't really get to the heart of it, but they also like they could almost be applied to any kind of cuisine. Like one of the things, including like the Japanese government, because the Japanese government has actually laid out what washoku means, like traditional Japanese food. And their definition is just like so generic. It could be almost anything. Like they say things like, you know, seasonal dishes imbued with meaning, a focus on fresh seasonal produce. Like, it's like, okay, you could say that about Italian food. You could even say that about British food, you know? So I wanted to get it like, okay, what, why is Japanese food so great and so fun? And like, why is it such a joy to like go there uh, and eat there and drink there? And I think it really comes down to hospitality in so many ways. Mm -hmm. um, because Omotenashi, it's not just about like, it's, it's not really about formal service. Like there is that aspect to it. And if, you know, you've been to Japan, you know, there's a lot of like bowing and there's an honorific language that's used and different conjugation of verbs, even depending on who you're talking to. And you go into shops and there's uh, different phrases that people have to say. And, and it's all about, you know, this very uh, highly attuned customer service culture. Mm. Um, so there is this sort of politesse of omotenashi and some people in Japan, uh, both the people giving the service and the people receiving it find that quite annoying. But I think it's really nice. <laughs> but also there's like a different kind of a motenashi, which is the kind of hospitality that you get like 
in small mom and pop shops or in people's homes or in izakaya, which is like, it's still very, it's not as polite, but it's very, very welcoming. Um, it, it's it's all about sort of, I think the best way to describe it is to sort of anticipate what people want or what they need and having it ready for them so that they feel relaxed and at home. You know, it's, it's like, it's little things. Like if you go into a Japanese inn, a ryokan, they'll greet you with a cup of tea and some rice crackers. Mm-hmm. You know, just, just a little thing to say, welcome, here you are. Same thing in like an izakaya, you could be given like a little plate of delicious dressed cabbage, just like a freebie. Um, it, it's all these things that sort of add up to this uh, culture of just feeling really like people are are very generous and it's all over the place like i said it's in people's homes you 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 get it from strangers sometimes even um there there is like there there's a there's a lot of different things that play into this in japan including this culture of like obligation which is called giri mm-hmm. um which i write about in the book as well so like i said it's like it's not all uh sincere necessarily but the culture is of this hospitality is so strong that i feel like like it's it it's uh what's the word? It's almost like in the atmosphere. It's, it's mm. like cultural. Um, and I think that is one of the key things that sort of makes Japanese uh, food culture so great. It's not the thing, but it's so important, I think. And it's really important in izakaya as well. Sake is is your number two. Sake is delicious and you should drink it. Because the, even, yes. the <laughs> even the whole ritual of sake is about sharing, isn't it? Because it's about you. I pour for you. You pour for me. We, we That's share true. together. Yeah. That is true. Although, if you want to drink sake alone, yeah, you can. <laughs> by it's all it's means. available. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, or you could buy the little one cup sake, the yeah. single serving cups of sake, and, and have true. it on the train. Um, but <laughs> no, the main the main reason I, I said this is because I, there's a lot of uh, misconceptions about sake, and a lot of people who don't like it, or they yeah. say they don't like it. And I used to be the same way. I used to think that sake was really strong. I used to think it was kind of gross. <laughs> um, but that's because I didn't really know anything about it. I wasn't really drinking the right stuff. I hadn't learned anything. Um, I was probably drinking it hot, like a lot of people do, which isn't really good for most sake. So uh, I just want people to have an open mind when it comes to sake, because if you get sake that's good, or just sake that you really like and serve it well, then I think that's generally cold. Sake, most sake is better cold, uh, but that's a whole other discussion. Um, you might be surprised at really how delicious and drinkable it is, and how good it is with food. And it's not very strong. Most yeah. wine uh, or most sake is roughly wine strength, a little bit yeah. stronger than uh, wine. It's in the sort of fourteen to usually fourteen to sixteen yeah. percent range. Sometimes higher, sometimes lower. Um, but you can drink it like a wine. It's not going to knock you flat on your ass. It's it's not distilled. It's not a spirit. Uh, you know, I think it confuses people because they drink it from the little cups, the ochoco, and they think, oh, it's it's a little little spirit that I'm going to shoot. You know, <laughs> um, but the reason, so I'm told anyway, that those little cups exist is because if you have a little cup, it means you have to pour for the other person mm. more frequently, and that's a sign of respect and deference. Yep. Um, again, I don't know if that's true, but it's a nice gesture. Yeah. <laughs> it comes back to a motenashi. Um, but anyway, there's great places to buy sake online now. Probably my favorite place to get it is an online shop called Natural Natural, the mm. Japanese supermarket. They have tasting notes. Um, they have a good range. You can kind of uh, – this is the thing also. You're probably not going to get a really good bottle of sake for under 20 quid. You're probably going to be spending more like 30. It's not like wine. It is more expensive. Um, but have it as a treat. 
you know? Yeah. Uh, that's what I do. I'll, I'll get, like, a few bottles of sake uh, that I crack open every now and again. Sort of once a month, I treat myself to a nice bottle of sake. Mm. And like wine, it is, um, it is made in, in a certain way. There's a method to making it. And yet, yeah. there are hundreds of different types or yes, styles, you know, that I think a lot of people don't realize that the, um, the variation, if you, if you, uh, you know, had 10 of your favorite sockets, for example, and, and, um, poured them out for people to try, they'd be quite astonished at the difference between them. Totally. I think, um, so it's funny because the way sake is made is actually more like a beer because it's based on a grain and the grain has to have its starch converted to sugar, um, before it's fermented. So, uh, in Japan, that's done with a mold called koji. So there's two fermentations going on in any diff any given sake, usually more because they could have uh, complex fermentations as well. And all of those stages of fermentation, those types of fermentation, give different flavors. Mm. But if you're if you're sake skeptical or if you've had rough sake before and didn't like it, the main sort of distinguishing the main categories you should look out for are ginjo and daiginjo. And those refer to how uh, much rice has been, how much the rice has been polished. So they take the grains of rice and they buff away the outer edge of each grain of rice. Um, and what you're left with is this center kernel. It looks like a little pearl of rice. And the center of the rice has more pure starch and less protein. And that starch ferments differently. It, it, it produces cleaner, fruitier uh, more floral, delicate flavors. And that's the stuff that most people drink and they go, oh, I guess I do like sake. <laughs> so <laughs> look for a ginjo or a, or a daiginjo. Yeah, good, really good tip. Let's talk about um, point number three, which you've said, um, the openness of Japanese food culture. Tell us about that. Yeah, well, I mean this in a few different ways. One is, uh, it goes back to a motenashi in that, in the sense that like people are generally speaking quite open. There are, you know, you encounter the odd no-go kind of places in Japan, <laughs> the places that might be kind of hostile uh, or, or not very welcoming, whatever, just like you get anywhere. But um, in general, I find that most places are extremely welcoming. Uh, like a pub, izakaya will take you as you are. They're for all levels of society. Um, whether you're rich or you're poor, everybody goes to the izakaya. And there's all kinds of places like that in Japan. Mm. Um, but actually, what I really mean by it is... Um, is that Japan, the food itself and the food culture is very open to foreign influence and, and new ideas and innovation. Because I think there's still this sense, um, uh, this sort of misconception that Japan generally and the food in particular is sort of closed off to foreign influence and, and that it a lot of it hasn't changed in like 400 years. Yeah. <laughs> um, and there is stuff like that in Japanese food. But I think that the generally speaking, like, the opposite is more yeah. closer to the truth. Yeah, I would, because I would say that they go and grab loads of different influences and, and make it better <laughs> Yeah, from my experience. Like the patisserie, for example, is one oh, thing. Oh, yeah, really, of course. Yeah. Like they'll, they'll, they can, uh, you know, you talk about French patisserie in Japan, they've really run with it yeah. there. Like the French patisserie in Japan, I think is probably better than the stuff you get in France in most places. Um, no offense to the French. It, it's just that that's the kind of food culture they have in Japan. Um, but Japanese food itself, I mean, even if you think about things that are completely considered completely traditionally Japanese, like say tempura, that was actually brought over. It was introduced by the Portuguese. Um, sushi, uh, 
it doesn't really resemble anything in continental Asia now, but the roots of that actually go back to fish sauce production because sushi was originally a fermented fish product that people then just began eating unfermented, basically rice, vinegar, and fish. Um, so even those things, they actually, they do come from somewhere. And there's always been this kind of like, uh, there's always been this influence, but then you get up to the sort of the beginning of the 20th century. And that's when you really start to get things coming in, um, from abroad and you get things like, uh, Japanese curry, katsu curry, you get things like Japanese breads and, and pastries. Um, you get a Chinese influence and that gives you things like gyoza and ramen. Uh, there's a big Korean influence now, uh, and it just comes from all over the place yeah. and, and it, it gets uh, adopted into sort of Japanese food culture to varying degrees. Sometimes it's sort of cordoned off and, and instead of, okay, and people say, okay, this isn't, we like this food, we're going to eat a lot of it, but it's not Japanese food. <laughs> and actually there's a, there's a sort of question mark over ramen sometimes because um, in some places it's still called Chinese soba in Japan. Oh. So it's still got this sort of lingering Chinese uh, cultural identity, I guess. Um, whereas other people would say, no, of course, like ramen is, is Japanese. <laughs> of course it is. <laughs> um, uh, so yeah, there is, there's always been this openness. Um, you know, just a little story about the Korean influence. I, uh, Nigella was, has been very gracious to me and she's posted about a couple of my books now and she posted my uh, vegan, uh, kimchi and tofu gyoza recipe from vegan Japanesey. And somebody in the comments was like, Kimchi's not Japanese. And it's like, yeah, I know, but that doesn't mean that they can't use it in Japanese food. It's like Japanese food has always done that. It's always taken ingredients, ideas, flavors, techniques, recipes, dishes from other places and use them. Like, yeah. I think that's, that's one of the main characteristics of Japanese food, I think. Yeah. So, um, and that's very, um, that's very exciting to me. That means that Japanese food is is very dynamic and it's always changing and there's always something new to to learn about, basically. Let's talk about um, number four. You say even for drinking food balance is key. So I guess you're saying it's not just a case of going and, you know, throwing loads of sake and beer down your neck. Like it's, <laughs> it is about the food as well. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, there is more of an emphasis on eating generally when you drink in Japan. In fact, I, I spoke to a bunch of Japanese uh, cooks for the book to interview them and they all said like if you drink if you if you drink without eating like you'll be thought of as an alcoholic in Japan it's pretty much <laughs> the most no, of Britain <laughs> <laughs> exactly there's no such thing as like eating is cheating there you don't just go to the pub and knock back pint after pint after pint and then get a burger king or a kebab or something you're eating every step of the way yeah. um but i think that uh like Japanese drinking food, like most drinking food, it does sort of skew towards salty, deep fried, meaty, spicy, cheesy stuff. But you still get like in an izakaya, you get a lot more like fish and vegetable dishes than what you get um, in in most British drinking mm. establishments, for example. And I think that um, that's more fun. I think that because when you are um, like, regardless of whether you're drinking or not, it's nice to have a bunch of different things presented in front of you, a bunch of small dishes that are all a little bit different. Yeah. It's kind of like it gets to be quite monotonous if you're just eating big, you know, piles of chips, chips. or other deep fried that items. Is, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the drink or and food of chicken. choice. <laughs> yeah, or, or, you know, meaty combinations of meat and bread like yeah. burgers <laughs> or kebabs, you know. 
it's and it, you know that's uh, there's nothing wrong with that, but it's 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 all also about like how Japanese meals are served. There, mm-hmm. It's not often that you'll get, or, or not often. Uh, it's not always that you'll get just one big thing like we have here. Mm-hmm. Usually, you'll get a sort of progression of smaller things like tapas, and I think that's yeah, just a more fun and and more sociable way to eat because then you're sharing as well, and you can uh, talk about the food and try different things and. It's it's just it's it's uh, it's better, and I, I, and then you can always finish with something big and greasy like a bowl of ramen. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and you say for number five that recreating an izakaya at home is possible, but it won't take you to Japan. What do you, what do you mean by that? Well, so the book was written during lockdown. Yeah. Um, when I was like everybody itching to get the hell out of here, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I would have loved to have just gone to a restaurant, but of course I also would have even more loved to have gone abroad. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> and in particular, I wanted to go to Japan, but I was trying to recreate different uh, food experiences from abroad at home. So cooking a lot of things I don't usually cook. I made Maltese food once. <laughs> I made a <laughs> Chicago uh, deep dish pizza, which I'd never made before, and it was delicious. Mm. Um, and then, of course, I started working on this book and was making a lot of izakaya food. And I thought, well, can you really recreate an izakaya experience at home? Because there's so much about them that's intangible. Like there's the atmosphere and there's yeah. the, the service, the omotenashi. Um, there's the, the range of delicious drinks you can order, whiskeys <laughs> and sake and beer and everything. Um, <clears throat> and it just seemed like you can't do it in your own home because you have to physically re- remove yourself <clears throat> to that like yeah. third third space basically like like a pub or a cafe or whatever to get your mind out of your own you know your own physical space you can do it um i very successfully had a great time at home <laughs> cooking izakaya food and drinking sake yeah. with uh, my wife and, and my three-year-old daughter because <laughs> um, like i say in the book like I thought you couldn't have toddlers in izakaya, but at the end of the day, a toddler is not that different from a drunk adult. Hmm. They slur their words. They speak nonsense. They shout. They cry. So t- <laughs> it's just like having, yeah, it's just like having a weird drunk at the table. So, t- so she she was really bringing the atmosphere by. Oh, she was. By, like, yeah. <laughs> and you know, I've got my I've got my red lantern there in the corner, Lovely. and uh, again, good sake, good drinks. You B- could do it, B- but but it. And, and, and what was great about it is because when you make that kind of food um, that's fun and gets people kind of excited for dinner time, mm. um, then you start to create that atmosphere. You yeah. start to – like it gets people buzzing a bit more and more conversational. Yeah. Um, and especially if there's obviously sake or beer involved, then the conversation flows. But you can't – it does. It didn't make me think, ah, I feel like I'm in Japan again. Yeah, because it's a very that's, particular – yeah, yeah. That I get is that. particular, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> so like by all means – Recreate the izakaya vibes at home, yeah. but if you want a, a feeling like you're in Japan, I'm yeah. afraid you you have to go to Japan, which we cannot do for the no, foreseeable. We can't. <laughs> but you can buy the book and you can make a lot of the dishes. Um, yes. And talking about the dishes, your next point is you can substitute some things, but Japanese rice is non-negotiable because Japanese rice <laughs> is is very very important, isn't it? I don't know why I'm such a stickler. Like I see people post photos of the recipes I make from my books yeah. and I'm very grateful and I love seeing that but I do a little cringe like my whole body tenses up when I see that they've used like Jap- uh, jasmine rice or basmati rice or, or some kind of incorrect <laughs> rice um, 
And I don't know why I'm such a Japanese rice hardliner, because at the end of the day, it doesn't matter that much. Um, I think it's because I am so... I'm so used to Japanese rice. I'm so familiar with it that if I was to be served a Japanese meal without it, I would just think it, it is completely wrong. So Japanese rice, um, I think on a on a previous podcast, we, we had a <laughs> rant about this because you were like, why do they call right. it sushi rice? It's not just sushi rice. Yeah. It's Japanese rice. You know, it's a particular kind of rice, which is short it, it's grain. It's short right? grain. The, um, I actually discovered during lockdown when I couldn't get Japanese rice for a, a little while that pudding rice is actually the same stuff. It's the same varietal. It's just very low grade. So you have to wash it a lot and make and watch out for broken grains. Um, right. But yeah. it's the same stuff. Um but it has, I, I think, you know, apart from my own feelings and my own connection and, and nostalgia or whatever that makes me demand Japanese rice, I think that the way it <laughs> eats and the way it works with uh, other Japanese dishes, yeah, um, it, it, it makes sense. Like, for example, a lot of other kinds of rice, it's very hard to eat with chopsticks, you know, like if you have most long grain uh, rices, they're not sticky enough and Japanese rice isn't technically a sticky rice but it's got enough starch on it so that it, it clumps together and you can eat it mm. with chopsticks it can even you can still even eat it with chopsticks even if it's got a bit of sauce that's dribbled into it um and yeah. and the aroma is like it's got an aroma it's nutty and I think it's very beautiful but it's also not you wouldn't call it fragrant like a Japanese uh, sorry I keep saying Japanese you, you wouldn't call it fragrant like yeah. a jasmine rice so it, it's it's a neutral yeah. thing for the most part that just goes well with everything um, you got to have Japanese rice. <laughs> okay, so on to number seven, uh, prep ahead so you can chill out when it's time to eat. I mean, we yes. love a, we love a prep ahead, don't we? That's, <laughs> um, yeah, tell us about that. So when you serve a Japanese meal, an izakaya-style meal or, or otherwise, I think that many of the best ones have a, a, a wide range of different dishes within them. So like a traditional Japanese meal format is uh, – Ichiju sansai, which means one soup, three sides, which is already a lot. But actually, you also yeah. should be serving that with uh, rice and pickles. So if you have miso rice and pickles, miso soup, rice and pickles, you've got sort of the, the foundation of a lot of Japanese meals. But then you're also supposed to add three sides to it, three three vegetable or protein side dishes. So it's a lot. Um, but first of all, like if you've got rice and pickles, pickles can be pre-made. Rice, you can it, it doesn't take any time at all to make, and you can just have it sat mm. warm uh, in the pan as you prepare everything else. Um, and you don't really need miso soup and an izakaya anyway. That's not something that's typically served there. But the three sides, they, they can be things that you can mm. make ahead and, and be served cold as well, um, or room temperature. A lot of Japanese dishes are fine if you cook them and then have them sit for a little while. So, like, you could do something uh, if you want to serve for a few people, have a good like a, a good range uh, of food at an izakaya dinner, you can have your rice and uh, you can have pickles, and that's great to start with. And then you can do something like the stir-fried pea mm. shoots with uh, crushed sesame, which yeah. are fine hot, but they're also good at room temperature. They're also good cold. So those could be on the side, ready, ready to go. You can make something like the Japanese potato salad with ramen eggs, which is a recipe from the book. Again, make it cold, scoop it straight out of the fridge, garnish with the eggs, it's ready to go. And that'll free you up to just make one or two other things that are actually hands-on cooking. Like, say, you can make karage or mm. one of my favorites, the um, uh, the 
ham and cheese katsu, deep fried layers of ham and American mm. cheese, <laughs> which is delicious. Or you could do something like the steamed <laughs> eggs with uh, mapo sauce. Like if you're, you can have a, a, ra- a bigger range of dishes if you make things uh, ahead that can be served cold or, or room temperature. And that'll, that means you're not scrambling when it's actually time to serve the food. Um, I'm really intrigued by number eight, which is um, ah, invest yes. in a camping stove. In a camping stove. Um, because this is another way to make the uh, Japanese dining um, process or the Japanese serving process even easier, which is to have people cook food themselves mm. at the table. Yeah, uh, because there's obviously this huge culture uh, for doing just that in Japan, um, mainly hot pots, but also sometimes you get like griddles and things that you can make okonomiyaki on or even yakisoba at the table. There's a, mm. a, a chain of izakaya in Japan that specialize in seafood that you grill at the table. They come around with little barbecues, uh, and you can grill squid and prawns and these wow. giant clams on it. And it's, it's fantastic. Um, so, like this, like sukiyaki or or there's a gyoza hot pot recipe in the book um, that you can uh, or shabu shabu bacon shabu shabu in the book. You can bring out the broth yep. and the prepped vegetables and the meat all uncooked, ready to go. Put on a camping stove and give everybody a little pot with dipping sauce and and maybe a side or two, the pickles and rice again would be great or noodles, um, and then everybody takes turns just putting things in the pot, cooking it to their liking, fishing it out, dipping it in the sauce, and having a great time. Like it's it's hands on, it's DIY, it, and it it takes yeah. all the pressure off you as a cook. <laughs> For number nine, you say Japanese drinking food is a form of self care. Tell us about <laughs> that. Well, what I mean by this is that. Um, if you cook food that excites you and that excites other people, yeah. it's it's like a treat. And and when we think of treats, we usually think like, oh, I'm going to have like a, a piece of cake or or uh, something something that's like a, a sweet or a dessert or or, or something that's considered mm. maybe a little bit unhealthy. But treats don't really have to be like that. Treats can be anything that is just kind of fun and exciting, like you know. I mentioned karage yeah. before. If you bring karage to the table, you're going to have a great time, and like people are going to love you. And I think that so kara- karage is yes, fried karage chicken, is fried isn't chicken, it? The Japanese um, fried chicken or gyoza. Yeah. Like bringing a big plate of gyoza to the table yeah. is just like okay, we're having a meal now. It's 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 nothing fancy, and it's nothing mm. complicated, but it's special. It's like it it again. Like I said, it's a treat. This is completely random, but when I was a kid, I loved deviled eggs. I still love deviled eggs, but like yeah. we'd only have them at the when we watched the Super Bowl, <laughs> you know. <laughs> so like having uh, having deviled eggs was again it's it's nothing special, but it, it was such a treat. And like you can't you can't have it every nice. day. That's the thing you got to change it up because otherwise yeah. you lose that little yeah. thrill. But I think that making your meal times a bit more when you can a bit more of an event. Um, yeah. Yeah, I think it, it is a form of self care, and I think it, it like uh, it allows you to connect with the people you live with a bit more. Yeah. Um, I don't know before uh, before Tig was eating like solid adult food, we would usually mm. feed her first, and then after she went to bed, Laura and I would eat uh, our meal separately, and we'd usually eat it on the couch watching TV because we were it was late and we were tired. <laughs> Um, and that all changed really during the lockdown and, and mm. when Tig like got a bit older, we could all sit down as a family to eat together. Um, and it doesn't have to be Japanese food or izakaya food or anything like that. It's just like something that you can bring to the table 
that makes mm. mealtime like really mealtime, you know? Uh, yeah. I think that's important. I think that is self-care. I think everything you've described as well, like having all the different dishes so people are intrigued and surprised and your, you know, your brain is surprised as well as your palate and you've got things to talk about and things to share and pass around. It's sort of like, yeah. it's very, you know, it, 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 it sort of brings everyone into the meal rather than, as you said, just sitting with it on your lap. Which, right. which, we're, which we're all allowed to do. I did it last course, night. Yeah. You know? But yeah, it's a, it's a really lovely idea. Um, mm. The last one is you say you don't have to be drinking to enjoy Japanese drinking food, which I guess is everything we've been talking about. Right. Um, it is absolutely because it is fun, but also it goes back to, um, you know, what I said about balance and uh, having a variety of things like, there's certain types of drinking food, uh, particularly, I think, Japanese, uh, sorry, particularly, I think, like, British and American drinking food. Mm. That's really, I hate to use the word filth, but, like, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. you wouldn't eat it normally <laughs> sober, um, <laughs> or at least not, like, not as readily you wouldn't yeah. eat it, you know? Whereas Japanese food, Japanese drinking food, it it feels a bit more nourishing. Yeah. Um it, it, it's got a little bit of balance sort of inherent in it. I, I, I'm, I'm actually working on another book right now. And in researching that and testing recipes for it, I realized like how many dishes in, in Japanese food have like vegetables sort of snuck into them. Not mm. snuck into them like they're hidden. No. But like you have this thing that looks really like indulgent and salty and sweet and meaty. But then it's it's got veg in it. Like uh, there's one I just tested, which is um, enoki mushrooms bundled nice. up and wrapped in bacon and then fried and you glaze it with soy sauce and mirin. Oh, sounds so good. Yeah, it is really good. <laughs> and you you're like it's like wow, I'm eating I'm eating lots of bacon. It's delicious. But then also <laughs> you also happen to be eating lots of enoki mushrooms. So it's like is it enoki mushrooms that are uh you know <laughs> made less nutritious by bacon or is it bacon made more nutritious yeah. by enoki mushrooms? <laughs> and that dish by the way would like be good in a bento yeah. or or in an izakaya. Like that's one of the things about Japanese food is that the drinking food it's not that different from what you'd eat normally. Yeah. You just sort of maybe eat more of it. And, what, what would uh, you drink with it if you were if you weren't drinking uh, the sake or the beer or you know the whiskey? Tea. 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 Oolong tea. Nice. Uh, oolong tea is is a great sort of all rounder, cold brewed iced oolong tea. Lovely. Or hot in the winter. Yeah. Uh, which is uh, also said to help you digest. I don't know if that's true. But then the other one is the stuff mugicha, which is a roasted barley tea. And that's mm. also, it's got the same kind of malty flavor almost as like a beer. Um, yeah. So it goes with everything. Um, and it's that one's not got any caffeine in it. So if you're like me, an old man who can't handle caffeine yeah. after like 3 p.m. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just, Mugi I'm just one coffee a day that otherwise, yeah. you know, don't come near me. <laughs> then mugicha is your... Uh, is your friend. Um, yeah. But like, it's interesting in testing the izakaya recipes uh, had leftovers and would often eat them for breakfast or lunch. And they work yeah. just as well. Amazing. They work just as well because there's not as much of a differentiation in Japan between what should be served for breakfast, lunch and dinner. Yeah. There's a lot of overlap. Great. That's so good, Tim. Thank you so much for coming to chat to us today. We've covered Thank amazing you. amount of stuff. And um, if people want to grab your book, it's called Your Home Izakaya by Tim Anderson. 
Um, Fun and simple recipes inspired by the drinking and dining dens of Japan is the subtitle. Um, And that's out now to buy at all good bookshops and online stores. Um, And where's the best place for people to keep um, abreast of what you're doing? I have just, I'm not on Twitter and I just recently deactivated my public Facebook account. (laughs) So only on Instagram. Instagram, which is the, let's face it, is the friendliest um, platform to be on, isn't it? Pretty much. It's the friendliest and I feel like it's also probably the best uh, place for food. Yeah. I I post all kinds of random I know your, your, no, your, your feed is honestly envy inducing. It's, there's so much gorgeous stuff on there. Um, Thank you. So, and that's at Chef Tim Anderson, all one word. That's me. Okay, great. All right. Thank you. Thanks again for coming to see us, Tim. Thanks, Janine. Thank you for listening to the Olive Podcast. For recipes and more information, head to olivemagazine.com. Do remember to listen out for our effortless bonus episodes where our guests reveal their best cooking cheats, hacks, and shortcuts. And don't forget to subscribe at iTunes, Acast, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.